the average urban commute is 25 minutes long one way. So that's 50 minutes a day. If you take 260 workdays a year, you're talking about 215 hours a year that is spent on your commute. You're potentially unlocking 215 hours a year of time that you can then be using for other things. Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search The Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so I've got a really exciting announcement coming up. I'm going to be launching a new product, and I want everybody to know about it. I don't want to disclose it yet, though. So just keep your eyes peeled for my announcement coming up. I'll be announcing it in an upcoming podcast and also through a Facebook Live. So keep an eye out for that. Today, I wanted to talk about self-driving cars and the potential impact that could have on the economy going forward, because, you know, a lot of tech stuff nowadays kind of like ties into macroeconomic implications. It is uh, looming pretty close nearby and really could have huge impacts on the economy. And it, it really kind of interplays with the whole topic of AI and all this uh, automation that's taking place in our economy today. And it, it's just fun because it's kind of controversial where the, things happen like the uh, accident recently. And uh, it's funny how the news flow changes. And, and Donnie, you were actually just talking to me about that before we started recording how you know one day you'll you'll search on a topic and it'll come up with very positive news flow and then the next day you search on it and it's completely different information you're getting based on what the social trends are with Uber for example Uber 2 years ago it's like everyone loves it and then there's some scandals and things that happen with management all of a sudden people are like ah, delete Uber forget that yeah. <laughs> you know if you've ever heard of a guy named Buckminster Fuller he was an inventor about 100 years ago, I think it was, who invented all kinds of things, including the geodesic dome. That's what he's famous for. But he actually invented a type of car that was before we had our standard issue width of our cars and like four door and four wheel, that kind of thing. He invented this kind of car that was like much bigger than our regular car. And it could seat 12 people and actually go instead of just like backwards and forwards, it could go forward directions. What ended up happening is they had one of these like demo day things where it was like on display and it had a crash and I think someone died and then all the publicity went bad for him and then it was downhill from there and it, it never took off. And then we, we ended up getting stuck with our current car, which is from what I know, much more inferior in terms of capability and seating and all that stuff to this like car that he had invented. The point that I'm making is it's crazy how fickle society could be Absolutely, just based on there's an accident that happens with a self-driving car, the wrong publicity and spin gets put on it, and then all of a sudden, nobody's interested in it anymore. Yeah, um, definitely. And if you look on uh, Google, as, as you just said, if you, you look up fully autonomous cars or self-driving cars right now, based on what happened in Arizona back in March... We had one of the first fatalities due to a self-driving car. And so you have that on the forefront on Google. You have statistics of 
how afraid people are of self-driving cars. It's definitely a big topic right now, for sure. The thing that kind of bothers me about how those things play out or uh, percolate through society is that we're talking about one or two accidents that happen. Meanwhile, I was looking this up. We have 35,000 vehicle deaths per year, every year in the Absolutely. U.S. Yep. So it's not like people aren't dying from cars that people are driving anyway. So the fact that we have a self-driving car that kills someone, okay, like that's a terrible thing that happened. But statistically, representatively of the technology and the potential of safety, is that really representative to then freak out because of like one accident? Yeah, so it's a very complex issue because basically what you're saying to these people is, hey, you know, you should put your trust into this machine. And we've been doing this for years. I mean, I ride the bus to work every day. I'm effectively putting my trust into that bus driver. And so I think that what people are looking for is, is some form of accountability. If you go online right now, there's a lot of conversations just asking the question of, if there is an accident, who's responsible? And uh, that's actually a big legal discussion right now. Is it the, the owner of the car? Is it the, the manufacturer of the sensors that are put in the car? You know, is it the manufacturer of the car itself? There's so much uh, debate going on. And I think because of this vagueness in the legal, since this is such a new issue, really, I think people are afraid because they don't really know where the, the blame can be pinned on. And it really is a moral issue at the end of it, because if, if you are driving the car, you know exactly who's responsible when you get into an accident. But if you get into an accident with another car that has no driver, uh, it's just a much more complex moral issue. Yeah, it's funny how the legal system can actually be the thing that kills an innovation in, in technology that could be a potential progression in society or, you know, create some kind of benefits. But if the legal aspects of it can't be worked out, it could be the thing that kills it. When you say that, it makes a lot of sense that it is complicated and that it's hard to work out because, you know, you ask yourself, if I own a self-driving car and the guy that my car collides with owns a self-driving car and they're both self-driving and they run into each other, who's paying for it? That is very complicated. Yeah, and then, of course, you, you add into the mix that we've actually had some people die from these accidents. Not many, but uh, at this point, you know, this is a very, fairly new new thing. But when you go into that situation, you know, how do you value human life in this equation? It's very complex, for sure. So that actually reminds me of the movie iRobot. You see that one? Absolutely, yeah. Will Smith's character was really bitter against robots because he was in a car accident, he's stuck in water, and this robot does these calculations and calculates that this little girl that was in the car with him wasn't going to survive, but that he had a better percent chance to survive, so it saved him instead of the little girl. And he was like, a human would have known to save the little girl and not me. And he was like really bitter against robots because of that. You know, you could imagine the same kind of situation when they're programming these self-driving algorithms in the cars, that they have to make calculations and decision-making functions that is going to say, if there's a no-win situation, the car has to run into this thing or this person instead of that thing or that person. That starts to get very scary on a moral level. Yes, and I think that that's really the biggest issue here is a moral issue. 
Obviously, too, uh, it's a technological issue because the technology isn't where we would like it to be for this to be an all-encompassing thing. I think that ultimately the goal here is to have a self-driving car that statistically drives better than the human being. But people have a very high standard of safety with these things. Actually, so I was just looking this up. And so I think the quantitative benchmark for what exactly what you're talking about, for 2016, the standardized measure that where you could say like how safe a car or a, some kind of driving feature would be is the fatalities per million uh, vehicle miles driven. So in 2016, it was 1.18 fatalities per million miles driven. And that's people driving themselves. So if, if we're able to say that self-driving cars can drive and only cause you know, less than that many fatalities per million miles driven, then it would arguably be a safer way to be driving. Yes, statistically. However, on an emotional level, people are still afraid. A recent poll that I saw from, I think, AAA stated that a vast majority of people aren't willing to do that, aren't willing to get into a driverless car. And the reason is because they're afraid. They're afraid that the technology isn't where it needs to be. It all comes back to who's responsible and if anything happens, where does that go? And because of the vagueness, I think there's going to be a lot of fear. It's it's held this industry back a bit. If you looked at fully autonomous cars in articles from even six months ago, things were really positive. They were saying how a number of car industries are planning to go fully autonomous in the 2020s, early 2020s. I think Tesla was trying to get something out by 2018 even. I'm not exactly sure where they're at on that because a lot of a lot of this fear has held a lot of that back. Yeah. Well, when, when I think about it for myself, I would be somewhat fearful to be in a self-driving car at this point in time, but I think more so not because of like any kind of legal ramification, but just because the track record or the experience of like, I don't see a bunch of self-driving cars around me. Right. So it's not a familiar experience in my life that I know that I can count on it versus I know I can get on the elevator and not worry that it's going to come crashing down to the ground because I know that there's elevators that go up and down all the time that there's like safety features and that they've been like running for decades. And like, so I know I can get on the elevator confidently and not worry about it. Actually brings up a very good point. I think that the way we're going to get past this fear, this initial fear is exactly what you said. We're going to see it more and more and experience it more and more. And we are, even though we don't have fully autonomous cars right now where we see them every day, we are seeing technology that's in these cars more and more. My brother even bought a car fairly recently that has some of this technology in it, uh, adaptive cruise control, where back in the day, <laughs> you used to have to actually change your speed when somebody slowed down in front of you, and the car does it automatically for you now. Oh, sweet. That's, yeah. That's cool. I have actually rented, <laughs> I've actually rented a car and experienced it for myself, and it blew my mind. <laughs> um, that, that is cool. And I've also seen technology where it senses around you, it'll indicate to you 
that someone's in your blind spot and not to change your lane. So a lot of this sensing technology is in a lot of these cars now. My brother's car actually will, he can put it on kind of a semi-auto mode where it'll sense the lanes and it'll even kind of move the steering wheel for him to kind of gauge it. And so as these technologies are implemented into these semi-auto mobiles, I think we're going to be more and more willing to relinquish that control. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think we will actually transition? And and it sounds like your answer is yes. Is it going to take a long time? So I don't know if we're ever going to transition to the point where everyone will be in a driverless vehicle. I think that we're always going to have human-controlled vehicles on the road coexisting with these driverless cars. But um, I think that's actually better because it makes sure that the technology is able to handle a lot more variables and some more robust technology. So I'm remembering a situation at one of my old jobs. I used to get these paper pay stubs, basically, that would get mailed to me. And then they were updating to have them sent electronically. And I opted to just like keep getting the paper ones. I was like, oh, it's nice. Like I got to see them and and I remember going by the accounting department and the accounting guy complaining. He's like, I hate the people that keep wanting these paper ones. Why won't they just go electronic? <laughs> and hating that people weren't like updating to the system. So what I'm thinking with self-driving cars is I could just imagine where they're trying to push everyone into self-driving cars so that their system works, so that they can have all the self-driving cars like working with each other to drive safely. And then you're just going to have these people who are like, on their older clunker cars or whatever that aren't on the self-driving system. And that's going to frustrate the people in the system. Just like, why won't they update to the self-driving cars? Um, I don't know if it's going to go to that extreme because driving for some people is a form of therapy. It's a form of having some form of freedom. And it might be considered kind of a leisure time to be spent. I think that's why people buy motorcycles today. They drive it not because it's the safest way to travel, but it's it's a recreational way to travel. That was definitely outside my uh, point of reference because I, I do not think of driving as a leisure activity. Uh, I, I don't either. Uh, I don't either, but I know many that do. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm actually all aboard this technology when it becomes uh, safer. I think that as these cars start becoming more and more accepted in society and become ubiquitous on the highways, we're going to see different designs out there. You, know, As you talked about how the design could have been totally different for the car earlier in the talk, I think that having no driver could be a game changer as far as the way cars are designed in the future. Imagine you know, not needing to be up there forward-facing seats. Um, you could have a, a table in the middle where everybody's looking at each other and being able to converse with their family. You could cook dinner. There's all kinds of things that you could have. You could have a movie theater, you know, all kinds of things you could do, which would boost the economy in a huge way. You'd have all these new options, plus you'd have a lot more leisure time. You know, a lot of people spend an hour driving at work, you know, one way especially in the cities. So if you get that hour, two hours back out of your life, what are you going to do with that time? You're going to spend 
money, you're going to invest in cars that have some of these more luxury items. Yeah, I was actually going to make the same point, just talking about the economic potential of self-driving. But I definitely agree. I think one of the biggest exciting things about self-driving to me would be that it could create that more free time and flexibility. I looked up some statistics on this. So according to the U.S. Census, the average urban commute is 25 minutes long, one way. So that's 50 minutes a day, which is three and a half percent of your 24 hour day, which doesn't sound like much. But at the same time, it is still 50 minutes of your day. It's huge. If you take 260 workdays a year, you're talking about 215 hours a year that is spent on your commute. So if you were able to unlock that time and, and kind of free it up in some way, like you're saying, like if you're able to have leisure in your car as you're commuting or take a nap or whatever, you're potentially unlocking 215 hours a year of time that you can then be using for other things. And you know companies are going to try to capitalize on that time. Yeah. <laughs> so that can definitely convert into more productivity for individuals and society and then more output. Another aside to that productivity, if people are getting to sleep more or uh, read more or listen to podcasts more or, or whatever, if people are more productive, there's more abundance, and that's just creating more comfort in life too. But at the same time, it's also creating less anxiety because in city driving – there's just a lot of anxiety and frustration through like dealing with traffic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually why I <laughs> that's why I take the bus. I don't want to deal with the traffic. Yeah. It's funny because we're just kind of used to it, but if you think about like the knock-on effect that that has throughout your life and society, every day people are having to deal with like a horrible traffic commute and the the level of stress that that's adding on to people that then that impacts their families and down to like how they feel about going to work because they're like, oh, I have to deal with traffic or, you know, it's that kind of stuff. It's just like one more thing that's like making life less comfortable or less um, enjoyable. enjoyable. But the other thing that I mentioned before, if we're able to be reducing the amount of deaths per year from vehicle accidents through self-driving, not only is that saving human life, but it's also meaning like there's more people who are living, who are contributing to the economy and making us all better off. So, I mean, it's a very, like... <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, the economical implications of driverless cars is huge. I was interested to hear your perspective on the risks or some of, the, like, the drawbacks to self-driving cars. So, like, what do you see there? Yeah, I think we've kind of talked about some of that earlier, but we're going to have accidents, they're going to happen, uh, whether it's by a malfunction of the hardware or if it's going to be a software issue. We have malfunctions in technology all across every industry. I don't know if we'll ever have a 100% perfect system only because we live in a world where things break down. There isn't a single industry out there that doesn't have this problem whether it's a mechanical issue or if it's an electrical one. Things just break down. Things don't always work as perfectly as we want them to. And I think as the technology improves and as our manufacturing processes improve, those issues will lessen. But we don't live in a perfect world, and so 
things will happen. Uh, user error, hardware error, software errors. Accidents will happen at some point. So as you said, the statistics are, are low for elevators being an issue. And I think that as we see the same statistics occur with self-driving cars, we'll have a better comfort level to take away that responsibility from ourselves and give it to the machine. But the, the risk is still always going to be there. We have risk any time we travel. The thing that scares me the most is not the mechanical side, but the software side from the issue of hackability. Like, how mm. scary would it be? Let's say there was a centralized network that was like this smart computer calculating all the traffic within a, a city to optimize how and telling each car, like how it should be taking the route it should be taking, calculating everything together. Back to iRobot, right? Yeah, almost like iRobot. <laughs> but let's say it got to that point. Okay. So then if someone is able to hack the system, <laughs> someone can be threatening someone's life from halfway across the world just by like hacking into their car and, and causing them to run into a wall or something. To me, that is really scary because if Tesla can be updating their Tesla cars via software updates, to me that says there's a potential for a hack. I think that as the technology of the hardware and software improves, I'm no expert in software security, but I know that that's actually the, the realm that Elon Musk actually was, was in before he got into where he is now when he was working with PayPal. And so he actually had to talk about that, how that's the ultimate risk factor, you know, to imagine that somebody, you know, hacks into Tesla's database and tells all the cars to go to Rhode Island. <laughs> and they have built-in security systems where these systems are isolated from one another. And so in order to get to into one system, you can't get into all systems that way. There's multiple doorways you'd have to get into to be able to, to work a full hacking of that vehicle. And that's just the way you know Tesla does it. I don't know if every company does it that way, but I would imagine that a lot of thought is going to be put into this because the legal ramifications of, of designing things that poorly would be insane. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hope that that is being paid attention to as self-driving cars are being developed, because to me, that is the danger of where a system, you could have zero deaths per year because of self-driving cars, which is like, oh, we're saving 40,000 lives a year. But then if there's one time when someone like hacks the whole system and then causes every car to crash, <laughs> you know, like all at once, then that would mean it's so much worse than just having regular cars but that would be just like all of a sudden one event all i'm saying is that i think every measure should be taken to like mitigate that risk as you're saying to like decentralize or whatever it takes to make sure that that is not on the table yeah and then another thing the whole concept of the centralized system i mean the only way that that's ever going to happen is if the government makes it happen and it could it very well could when has the government ever tried to centralize anything? Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, it, it very well could. Um, it would definitely be done with a lot of uh, rebellion. <laughs> It'd be met with a lot of rebellion. Yeah, I don't put it past the government to try to institute something like that, though. But anyway, final thoughts. If you could isolate the biggest 
positive advantage of self-driving cars to the economy? What would you put it on? What would the, the gain from it be? Time. Yeah. yeah, I think that time's going to be the best gain. I guess safety is another one. Having safer people and having more leisure time leads to more rested, more well-rounded people and more people, <laughs> which enables the, the economy as a whole to grow. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps things up. Thanks, Donnie, for coming on the show. Absolutely. It was a good time and love to come again. Yeah, definitely. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast.